In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's might. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 262. That's right. We are talking Green Lanterns number six and number seven uh, from the month of September. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Ah, September's almost over. All right. Well, then, um, that's it. You, you said you wanted to take number six, man. Go for it. It was interesting. Now it's time for number seven. <laughs> Uh, I, I, somehow I, I do suspect that once we get to your, maybe, maybe your episode, there might be more to actually discuss. Maybe. I, only because Lord knows there's not much that happened in the issue. <laughs> but this issue, I don't know, issue six I liked, but they're, it's pretty straightforward. So, much like many of the issues in this series so far. So, issue six, let's try to get to the cover page here. Which is Rage Planet Part Six. I know it's a shocker. Uh, Sam Humphreys writer, Will Conrad and Jack Herbert art, colors blonde. Dave Sharp letters, Ropes and Roca, Jay Lee Steen, Rod Rice did the covers, and the variant cover was Emmanuel Lupacino and Michael. Is that an H? Adier? I think. Uh, I think so. Yeah, sometimes they get a little too fancy with their fonts and they don't realize it makes it hard to read. Assistant editor Andrew Marino, Mike Cotton editor, and group editor, editor, Eddie Berganza. So, where we last left off in this series, uh, pretty much Simon Baz was getting his ass kicked by Astrocitus. Jessica's kind of like run off to hide because she still can't, can't figure out how to make an energy construct. <laughs> five issues into the series yet and she can't make an energy construct so this is pretty much exactly where the the issue begins we begin with kind of like at this point the you know the requisite uh, internal monologue from one of the two characters this is Simon Baz I'm Greenland you know after a while I think this stuff we'll talk about Chad's opinion on this whether he thinks that this works or gets old but almost all these issues tend to begin the same way and pretty much, this is Simon Baz kind of catches us, us up on what's been going on and Red Dawn and everything else. And he has a partner, Jessica Cruz, who pretty much isn't any, <laughs> anywhere to be found. Uh, the, the Red, you know, the Red Lant, the Red Lanterns are kind of like search, kind of searching for Jessica at the same time they're trying to protect the, the Hell Tower, right? That's what it is. Yes. I always, yeah. I, I, I always, always want to call it the Rage Tower. That's, that's, that's why I, I stopped. Uh, so Jessica's pretty much like 
she's kind of like cr- not really curled up in a ball, but pretty close. She's sitting down, staring, really, really at a moment of complete loss to figure out of what to do. And then we kind of get a glimpse inside Jessica, the non-Green Lantern part of Jessica. So it's almost like a conversation between two parts of her personality uh, to try to to try to make sense of what's doing. One part's trying to give her the pep talk. The other part just keeps going, I can't do this. And eventually Jessica finally is able to manifest a construct. And it's a flower, right? Isn't it? Don't we find out it's supposed to be a flower, I think? Uh, yes and no. Simon calls it a bird later. Like some oh, does he? Idiot. For some reason I thought he called it a flower. That's the only reason why he said that. It looks like a flower. Maybe it's a bird. Either way. But she makes a construct. You get the little ring bubble saying, Willpower's spiking. So, you know, Atrocitus is pretty much, you know, just doing the typical villain thing at this point, kind of like ranting to uh, or talking to Simon, like, oh, I have you beaten. You can't beat me. You know, you don't understand, you know, you know basically you don't understand what's going on here, which is which is one of the good parts of this issue because you, until the very end, none of us really know what's going on with the story, and then it makes more sense. Uh, from inside the Hell Tower, a green light shines, and Atrocitus is stunned, and here comes Je- Jessica Cruz leap, leaping into action, and, uh, you know, she's kind of said destroying the Hell Tower. The uh, the Red Lanterns all around are completely shocked. Atrostas <laughs> kind of feigns total dis- total concern and disgust. It's like, no, the Hell Tower. The Hell, you know, the Hell Tower pretty much collapses. Atrostas is just like a. I mean, he might be a little concerned at this point, but he's. I think he's more playing it up. But then once he sees Dexter, then then he's then he's completely satisfied that at the end of the day, everything that he needed to happen to take place has happened because uh, he knows that a Dexter has planted the rage seed. Uh, Simon and Jessica are kind of happy. Oh, we, we, st- you know, we stopped Red Dawn. We stopped Red Dawn. And uh, Atrocitus kind of, who does not really look like Atrocitus. I don't like the way his face is drawn. Atrocitus just kind of continues like, uh, you think this is over? This isn't over. You have no one. You don't understand what happened here. Uh, this is only the beginning. And the Red Lanterns fly off. Uh, Simon entertains the idea briefly about catching them but the red lanterns are really conveniently are super are out of the out of the so, out of earth's orbit and out of the solar system super quick simon realizes that he hasn't seen jessica in a few seconds since uh since the hell tower collapsed but jessica is able to pull her way out with the green with her ring and they have this nice little hugging bonding moment if you will which I guess is supposed to now from from this point on I guess in the series they're going to be uh, I guess for the most part they're going to be buddy buddy with just some issues uh, but mostly on the same page. We found out the good news is Jessica pulled out the teddy bear that Simon wanted to bring to his uh, nephew, so which Chad and I talked about last time. They're all, so they're all you know they're all happy about this. Uh, we, we we revisit uh, Jessica's sister who was still trapped in a, like in a green construct. Not quite a bubble, almost like a sheet, where Sarah was being kind of like tr- being protected from herself when she was infected by rage. Then they end up going back to Dearborn, Michigan, where you know uh, Simon is about to uh, deliver the bear to his nephew Farid. And at this point, <laughs> which is kind of a cool part, uh, you know the the guardian, you know the the this lost guardian comes out and goes, "I must speak with the Green Lantern of Earth now." and Jessica has no clue what's going on because she doesn't has hasn't had any kind of dealings with guardians up at this point. Simon tries to give her like a like a 
a quick uh, crash course on who they are. You know, they're technically our bosses and everything else. And and I liked, you know, the, the Guardians. Like, not you. I need Hal Jordan, the legendary Green Lantern of Sector Twenty Eight Fourteen. It's like, a, it's like, a, but but I need Hal Jordan. It's like I tra- I've traveled like a billion light years and I've been hunted by twelve alien empires and all this stuff. And it's like, a, you you Guardian, I mean, you Lanterns, you need to protect me until Hal Jordan returns. And Simon's like, well, if it's really that bad, maybe we should uh, kind of like, maybe we can call some other Guardians to like help you out. He's like, that no, that's not going to work because I I was. The other gu- guardians exiled me. It's like because I'm Raimi, the rogue guardian, and I was banished forever for doing the unthinkable. Unthink- like not even Cordians were as insane as I was to do this. It's like I made a power ring that anybody can pick up, that anyone can use. The Phantom Ring, which is kind of cool. It's it's a really interesting symbol because it's it's kind of like the kind of like a Blue Lantern symbol, but yet it's not. Uh, now we cut back to we go to Yismalt. Lee has kind of caught up with the Red Lanterns, and she's kind of apologizing. Like I'm, uh, it's like I'm sorry for basically like screwing you over and messing up the plans. You know, uh, that Green Lantern he did something to me. Blah 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 blah. And you know, Atrostis, you know, who kind of picks up on the fact that there's something different about Blee's, but he just kind of like comforts her in a way, or just by bides time for himself going it's like the hell tower it did serve its purpose it was a means to an end you know the prophecy is going to be fulfilled and at the end we find out that the whole point of the hell tower and what the raid seed actually was and why it needed to be planted was it was planted inside the rage the hell tower because it was going to grow and create not necessarily create but grow and nurture a new red entity that is what red dawn will really be and uh or really is so. Next issue: Kitchen Nightmares. So anticlimactic. Kitchen no, but nightmares. I, but I, yeah. Oh yeah, that part is absolutely. I was gonna say I like the rage entity stuff because it's clearly not a bowl this time. <laughs> but I do like. The, but yeah, kitchen nightmares. Either a snake or a spiky leech or, or something. Maybe even a dragon could even be a dragon at some point. But yeah, it's it's got a. It is interesting. It is an interesting looking. Uh, it's kind of, but again, some people, the people who hate the emotional spectrum, will kind of hate the fact that that we're on the potentially on the road to getting the, to getting the entity new versions of the entities coming back. Though I still personally believe we can get the original entities back too at some point. But it's good to know that at least we know one core can bring it has a way of bringing back the entity. So which probably means deep down all the other cores could do the same. That was the highlight to me. The the raid the uh, the rage entity. And that being which, – which makes sense, and I don't want to monopolize this because I'm going to let you talk about the issue first, and I'll come back to it. But that was kind of the highlight to, of uh, why I think this story kind of sort of works, and so I'll shut up for now and let you talk for a few. <clears throat> um, Simon, how the hell does this look anything like a bird to you? <laughs> Seriously, it looks zero like a bird, even an alien bird. It does, what? All right. Um, <clears throat> when we do some feedback, we'll get into the relationship between Simon and, and Jessica and its convenience or lack thereof. Um, I just felt they went buddy buddy super quick again. Yep. Like just it, the, the the whole conflict and resolution thing felt all the way through. Like if you couldn't have done it, you know, particularly well then why not just start off with 
relatively uneasy tension instead of just out and out like Simon acting like a pompous jackass thinking he's better than her. Instead of that, just going, well, he can act slightly pompous, like I'm better trained, I know what is going on, rather than seeming like he hates her. Yes. It just... Especially when we know that's not the Simon Baz that we had seen previously. True. Like, I just... uh... (laughs) I like that. Keep going, Chad. You're on to something. It's just... It's just... It's it's forced. Like, if, if you were going to set up the uneasy um, dynamic between the two, you could have done it without making them so yin and yang, so completely diametrically opposed and then resolving it this quickly. Like, when you you resolve that deep, supposedly, of a conflict this quickly, it seems petty, which is maybe the point. But it doesn't very, doesn't work very well on page. So you could have just made him slightly less confident in her abilities and her just keep her the way she was, scared of everything, and, and instead of giving her a reason to dislike Simon. Like, I don't know. Um, but I'll move on from that. The um, It would have been cool to see her, like, maybe set down. I mean, it, it, artistically, it's it, it, it it's still makes the point, but it would have been cool to see her maybe uh, after she creates this contract, construct, um, have her, like, set it down and, like, watch it slowly grow as she flies away. Yes. So you can get the idea the way it's... I mean, this... It, you know, if, if you're paying attention, it's it's very clear that she left it down there and it's growing. That's what she's doing to it. When she flies out, and you know, it sticks yes. up from the ground and envelops everything. But it could have been a whole lot more obvious if you'd have shown her like setting it down and maybe smiling as she flies away and it's getting bigger. Like I don't know. That that that's just kind of that's a nitpick. I'll admit that part. Um, uh, let's see what else was I going to say. Um, the end thing with the, the, the entity, that's cool. You know, like bringing back the entities in some way, shape, or form. I think it, they're a relatively big part um, of the the mythos in terms of like they're kind of a deus ex machina sometimes. When an entity itch enters the picture, you know, you give an excuse for somebody acting out of character or gaining, you know, extra powers or whatever it is. So it's nice to have them back. But on the But on the other side... You got to also see this little thing. It says, "It is now inevitable. There is no changing the future. Earth will be overcome by rage." This, I think, I'm pretty sure I've made this point before on on the Lantern Cast. Now I don't know if it's like if it was you and you and I uh, when we were doing it, or if it was so long ago that it was back when Jim and Dan were on. Do you think? And, and forgive me if this sounds insensitive, even though it's been 15 years. God, 15 years. Um, do you think that since events like 9-11, it, we've just like lost all control of how we do um, uh, portray threat levels in, in uh, multimedia, whether it be television, movies, or comic books? Isn't what playing making everything out to be like an apocalyptic event? Or the yes, opposite? yes. 
Because, especially in the comic books, and I know the comic books have been doing this for years, uh, so I just, but I, but I feel like we've sort of, when you, when you have an event that affects the planet on this level, or like, uh, and uh, this doesn't spoil the next issue, but, you know, like when Simon and Jessica helped the Justice League save New York City, or, you know, like, these massive, massive events... I feel like I should be reading about them in other books or seeing their crossover, you know, the, their effect in other titles. Like, I just, like, for instance, it, 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 even using the Red Lanterns as an example, back when um, Supergirl was a part of the Red Lanterns, and there was that whole Red Lantern infestation of, you know, rage on planet Earth. And all of that stuff going on. We only saw that in the pages of Supergirl and uh, Red Lanterns. And that wasn't specifically because of anything other than the fact that Supergirl was crossing over with Red Lanterns at the time. But that one is an event that was happening on the entire planet. But we never saw any anything whatsoever in any of the other titles or... If we did, nobody told me and you, or like, I, I was actively reading other titles at the time, not quite as much as I am now because of Rebirth, but still reading some other titles and listening to people talk about the titles I wasn't reading on podcasts that I like to listen to, and I never heard any mention of it. So I feel like this this growth of apocalyptic threats and... All of this stuff and the way we have to go bigger and badder with the explosions and the death tolls and the planetary effects, you know, just to make the reader feel a sense of urgency or threat or whatever. That's cool, I guess. But at the same time, you're not adjusting everything else to match that. Because if it's going to be planetary, then it should be popping up or at least mentioned in other titles, right? Right, and, I, th- and we, I think we talked we we talked about that. I mean, in a roundabout way, when we were talking about the end of the Sinestro book, when it was dealing with the paling, because we had a very similar event where you know the Earth was on, Earth was under siege and all this stuff, and and we wondered, you know, how that we wondered like you know where, like how time frame wise we at least wondered like you know why isn't why doesn't Hal know what's going on with Sinestro and you know and all this stuff and. So right, because it was happening at the same time that he was on Earth yes, and Coast City, leading up to pe- the, yeah, the, pa- the unfortunate parallax storyline. Yes, yeah, right. so so we talked about it kind of in that context of how it fits into continuity, but it's the same basic concept: is that you have the you have the Earth Earth under siege, and then you have all you know you had a lot of superheroes joining up at the Sinestro Corps to fight the Paling, and yet you know it didn't really cross over into any other books, and it didn't cross over into into <laughs> into the main Green Lantern book, and it's like. E- yeah, I, I I agree. I think I think it's kind of and people. I mean, in a different way, people talked about this too, related to like movies, like the Marvel movies, how you have these big events that happen in some of the individual individual Avengers. Uh, there are individual movies, like you know, at the end of Winter Soldier with the with the helicarriers and how they were going to bl- kill all these people if they hadn't blown up those you know those helicarriers and and every, you know and and sometimes it's just because you just you have to try to make it. You're just trying to make your characters look stronger, and they'll look weaker if you tie it in with everybody else. I guess. I mean, that could be part of it. And plus, we know people just have their own 
everybody's got their own book. At least in comics, it's even clearer. You have, you have your own books and your own stories, and you can't keep crossing over into everything. But your but I but your point but your point is correct. If it's that big a threat, then why aren't more people here? Helping and it's out. not just it's it's not just that. It's like why why does everything have to be a big threat? Like I feel like gone are the days when like Felix Faust would threaten the Justice League, and it was just enough that he was attacking the Justice League. You know what I mean? Yeah, I th- and I think I think that's been a to be fair, I think that's been an ongoing criticism certainly ever since I honestly ever since the Johns era began because of the fact that everything is always, always everything's always an event, everything's always a big threat, everything's always building up towards the next big threat and you have very little smaller arcs, smaller smaller villains just, you know, a, like even though we know Black Hand is a much bigger deal now, but like, but before he, back when he wasn't, kind of like that, you didn't have. Now you never get an issue with someone like at that level back then, or like the Tattooed Man, or something like that. You don't have that kind of like B tier threat. Maybe that it's not going to destroy the world. It may not even destroy the the city that you happen to be in, but it's still something that's got to be done, and it can make it in, for an interesting story. And it gives the hero a good fight. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like the like the way like for perfect example, Captain Cold versus the Flash. Absolute Zero is the cessation of all motion. That's why Captain Cold is a great villain for Flash. They are diametrically opposed to one another in their power set, regardless of whether Captain Cold is the new fifty two version where he actually has powers or he just has the gun. It doesn't matter. Cold versus speed, because speed is heat and all this other stuff. Like, Flash has to figure out various ways to go up against different types of his rogues. Some of his rogues can match him in speed. Some of them try and slow him down. Some of them try and take advantage of his hyper-accelerated mind, and maybe he doesn't notice, like, you know, the trickster throwing some slippery banana peels in front of him or something. You know what I mean? Like, there's a bunch of different ways that smaller, like you said, just to use your term, B-tier villains can put up a good two or three issue storyline worth of a fight for a hero and it not endanger the entire continent or world or whatever. Yeah. I just and it, it, and it can I, still be a good issue. Yes. And we we know that has been that has been missing for a long time. And I, and I it may be missing in a lot of books, but we know in Green Lantern it's that is one criticism which is I mean, it's not the only criticism that's probably accurate to for go, looking from the John's era going forward, but that is one ongoing criticism, which is probably very – there's a lot of truth in it, the idea that everything is b- building towards a bigger and bigger apocalyptic, not just world-ending, potentially universe-ending event, and once you resolve one, you're already building towards the next. So, yeah. uh I mean, I, I I feel like I'm being overly negative, and so let me just point out a couple of positive things, and I'll turn it over to you. Okay. Uh, positive things, uh, the whole thing with the bear, uh, I didn't <laughs> like it much for the past few issues. I felt it was just kind of thrown in there, but it was kind of cool uh, in terms of having Jessica establish a relationship with Baz and maybe give it like a side door into a relationship with Baz's family. Because Jessica is the one that says those are all the bruises the bear got fighting to make the world safe for you, and it makes it makes the kid like it. So that's that's kind of cool. Um, 
again, I like seeing the relationship between Jessica and her sister. I like that dynamic. Um, hopefully Jessica is a little less whatever you want to call her, um, uh, like she is in the beginning of this issue. For the rest of the series, it, there's there's moments of it, obviously, from now on, that sort of deep mental social anxiety does not just go away. There's It's probably something she's going to be dealing with forever. Um, but hopefully its intensity has... We've, we've seen the zenith of its intensity, maybe. Hopefully, uh, for, yes. For at least a while. Um, some of the art is pretty great uh, in certain spots, and weird in others. Um, but, like, for instance, the, the panel, the, the splash of them hugging looks really nice. I like the way that looks. Um, and other things like that. The, the, the whole thing with another rage entity I already commented. I like that. I like the whole, uh, you know, the, the most interesting thing of all of this to me, of course, is this new, uh, this new guardian, Rami. Rami, you think? It, Rami, I say Rami. Rami. It could be, well, if it's not Rami, it's Rami, so it's probably Rami, it's probably Rami, but, we really until until somebody who somebody in the know actually says his name, we really will have no way of knowing how it's really supposed to be pronounced. Okay, well, that's cool to me. Um, I feel though, uh, even though I'm trying to be mostly positive here, I have to mention I feel a little anticlimactic though when he opens the box and it says it's a ring anyone can wear, and it's like, yes. Okay, if 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 you're a lantern, fan, like Mark and I. That could theoretically be uh, you know, a climactic moment. Like, wait, what? A ring that anybody can wear, not just somebody who's filled with rage or love, or, you know, like, you know, on the, in the intensities of these emotions and experience with them, just anyone can pick it up and unleash hell um, if, at, at will, regardless of, of their uh, previous experience with a ring. Like, for you and I, that's kind of, you know, but even for us, it's kind of like, Huh. Instead of a, oh shit. <laughs> like, I feel like there could have been something else said or revealed about this ring other than just the fact that anybody can wear it. Because I feel like to the casual reader, the relatively casual reader, that's not going to mean anything. No, I agree. I your, your reaction is exactly what my reaction was when we got to the splash page. At this point, we from the solicits, we already knew it was going to be called the Phantom Ring, so that kind of already kind of <laughs> shot some of my enthusiasm, even though we still don't know what it does and entirely how it works. So, But as soon as I heard it was the Phantom Ring, that didn't do much for me. And when we got to this page, it's like, oh, I created you know, I created a ring that anyone can use. And, and on the surface, it does seem like, eh, really? But when you think about it, now, now looking from the outside in, which, and you have to. This is a rare moment because you almost have to give the guardians their due here. You could certainly understand why the guardians would realize this is a big problem, <laughs> and why this is something you should very well potentially be banished for. Because, because uh, if you have if you have a ring, which is, as we'll talk, we can, we'll talk about it a little bit. I think after after we go we do your issue and we talk about the solicits for what's coming. That based on based on what this does potentially or what this ring can do. And since it is tied to the emotional spectrum somehow, that yeah, you can understand why the guardians this time w w are aren't probably being over too overreactive <laughs> and saying, oh no, you, you, well, look what the, look what you did. You you're you're going far far away, and, and you're taking your demon seed ring with you because of what this could mean. Because of the fact that now you don't even have to, 
now you don't have to have anything special about you to potentially wreak havoc. Uh, so. And the last thing I was going to mention positively, I like they're setting up for Blee's potentially. Yeah. Potentially. Depends on where they go with it, but I like what they're setting up so far. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have a weakness for Blee's, but they really go all over the – she's been so f- all over the map in the last few few years. It's, it's kind of hard to feel that, that – have much of a vested interest in her because she's so wishy-washy, and she keeps going back and forth left and right, and which it's like she can't make, her, make up her mind of what side she wants to be on or not. Yes, now, there seem, now it seems to be maybe less a voluntary decision because of what Simon did to her has changed maybe her connection to Rage. So that is interesting. I do like the fact that even though Atrocitus himself is picking up that there's something different about her now, you, you kind of you, you probably also can suspect that he kind of never that he he had still had a lot of doubts about Blee's anyway about how much he could trust her. So that's why that's why she didn't get the really important job, which was planting the seed, <laughs> creating the tower, or making sure the tower is you know starting to be created is one thing, but the actual seed plant planting was. He gave it to the only lantern he could really trust, and that's Dexter. <laughs> so I did, I did like that. I did like from from a threat building point of view, because we had talked about this before. The Red Lanterns have the Red Lanterns had been so, uh, you know, emasculated in a way over the last few years as being a real threat. That we had talked about how the, making them a big threat and making it a believable threat in the beginning of this arc was probably tough. A real hard sell, so they kind of almost acknowledge that in this issue because of the, or this whole arc because the real because in a way they weren't make they weren't trying to convince you that they were going to win now or they could win now, but that wasn't part of their plan. Their plan is to to win tomorrow, and the fact that even a you know kind of even atrocitus realizing that the, the the end game is the end game is down the road. It isn't today. It isn't tomorrow. In the I mean literally I means wait. I mean tomorrow way down the line tomorrow, but. So I did kind of like that. I like the fact that it's kind of like they're going to kind of like – seems like they're going to be amping up the Red Lantern threat and make it more – because that's what they had to do. We know Atrocitus himself has been so cut down as a threat just because of what they had guide and his relationship turned into. That you need Atrocitus to have – and you need Atrocitus to have some victory. So we knew this – we talked about this last episode. This, we knew this arc was coming to an end quickly because they were already soliciting the Phantom – you know the Phantom Ring arc and everything, and it's like so you know you knew this was coming to an end, so you knew you were going to have much like we you talked about, and I was going to mention too. I think I may have done it during the uh, review. The idea that you know the resolution pretty much happened so fast, and you know the conflict between them and you know, the lanterns that it's just you know it's just boom 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 it's over. Like it wasn't really a, a real fight. There was nothing to it. But wait, but in the course of the plot, that at least makes sense because Atrocitus really wasn't there to fight. He wasn't really there to have this big battle to take over the Earth. He just needed to get his entity growing again. And once he did, nobody knew about it. He won, even though they don't, they don't understand how he won or why he thinks he didn't lose. But we know that he won, and that's what you have to do, I think, for the Trostis now. You have to build him and the Red Lanterns back up as a threat. Um, even if it doesn't pay off for like a couple of years down the road, it doesn't matter. That's what you, That's what you have to do. So... Yeah, I, yeah. So those those are most of my thoughts on this one. I because of the entity, because of the, because of the introduction of the Phantom Ring, and mostly because of the non-action. I think that takes place in the next issue. This was my favorite of the of the two issues this month. 
All right, issue seven? Issue seven. All right, issue seven. uh, We open with Jessica stressing out because she is about to spend the day with Simon Baz's family. Uh, She kind of says, well, screw this, I'm out. Uh, And is about to leave when uh, Simon pops up and says, hey, you can't leave. Um, uh, And tries to convince her to stay and does so successfully by convincing her that he's making something uh, a Lebanese cookie, I believe, uh, but that's actually better than cookies. Um, uh, we see um, the uh, uh, the Guardian meditating in the attic upstairs with all kinds of energy and swirly stuff around him uh, as uh, his uh, Simon's nephew is kind of poking his nose and stuff like that. Um, Simon is sort of, sort of uh, sharing his history with Jessica and stresses out that these little, for lack of a better term, we'll just call them cookies, are not um, perfect yet. So he's stressing out to go get everything uh, correctly uh, and is telling her the story of his mother, how she was a real ball buster. And he says, you know, she's like, well, why didn't you just stop listening to her? He's like, are you kidding? My mom is my hero. All that she's accomplished in uh, immigrating to this country, she's always taught us to be who we are, even if people laughed at us. But her judgment suffocated me. I, repe- uh, I, re- I rebelled, got into some trouble, some things I've never told you about. When I got arrested, all this bad stuff happened to them. I wasn't a terrorist, but if I wasn't stealing cars, uh, maybe I wouldn't have gotten in trouble in the first place. I've been a not very good son. Um, so he's trying to, you know, make his mom proud and happy. Uh, they get back with all the stuff and they make all the cookies quickly using their Green Lantern powers um, uh, and pop everything in the oven. Simon's mom shows up and she critiques him about his new role as Green Lantern. Uh, then she takes a bite of the cookies and sort of softens up a little bit and says, you know, you, you know, I, I don't like you risking your life, but you must be who you are and you have found a way to be yourself and do good in the world. And she says, thanks. I don't like them. He says, thanks. He says, she says, I don't like the mask though. Why do you have to cover your handsome face? And where's my grandson? It's Halloween. And upstairs we see um, Farid, you know, uh, Simon's nephew, stacking stuff on top of <laughs> Rami's head when all of a sudden Rami snaps out of his trance, wakes up, and says, they're coming, and flies off. And when Jessica and Simon and the rest of the family get upstairs, uh, Farid says, he said, I think the du- the Dumbo-nators are coming. Uh, and Simon kind of perks up, and then they light up and go after him. It can mean really only one thing, and then we see uh, Raimi flying off, saying the Dominators are coming. Next issue, All Hallows' Eve. Straight to the point. Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. In a way, in a way, it works because of the fact that it is it is a good character piece for, for yep. what it is. So on that level, it works. It's just that in a way, as we've talked about in both books. So to be fair, it looks like uh, t- the corner has definitely been turned more in, in in the Hal book, as we'll talk about next episode about pacing and getting more into things and more th- at least more things starting to happen. That uh, this book still kind of is lagging in that re- regard the idea that it's still relatively it still seems like there's a lot of slowness to this book so in a way having the you know relatively borderline anticlimactic last issue ending the red the red dawn arc uh 
and then you follow that up with pretty much a completely non-action issue. That's that's the criticism is that it it makes it it makes it a real it makes an issue an issue really easy to kind of ignore or not care too much about. I will say this though, it's something you can only accomplish when you're doing a by a, a double release month yeah. type of book. If this was just one issue a month, we'd probably be a little more upset about a holy character piece type book. Maybe me less so just because I've been <laughs> begging for it and I'm going to try just by default try and find as many positive things I can, as I can say about an all-character piece just because I like seeing those things now and I want to give them praise when they do it. <laughs> um, but just because it's an all-character piece doesn't necessarily mean it's an all it's a good all-character piece. There, there are great moments, I think, for Simon, uh, which I think is good because... So far, it seems like most of the character stuff we've gotten out of this series is on Jessica's end. Yes. So this is, I mean, we've had a couple of moments with uh, Simon and his family, uh, especially in relation to them, like, hosting uh, Rami. But I think it's fair to say it's been mostly a a Jessica-type character piece. Uh, If we're going to, you know, decide which of the two lanterns it's leaning towards on that sort of focus. Uh, so that's good. Um, uh, I just don't know if it was done well. Well, I mean, I don't know. I kind of feel like I need to think about it a little more, which is odd. But uh, yeah, it's just it's a little odd. Um, I don't know where the hell Simon got this cast. Um, did he did he make it because he's good with cars and mechanics? Or I'm guessing I'm guessing he he made it. To go see Doctor Midnight, like, <laughs> oh, all right. Um, I th- I think just I think in a way, even though the issue is clearly focusing on Simon more, and yes, yet they're, they're trying to you know can lay the groundwork to really build a relationship between Jessica and Simon. They started last issue; they they kind of are you know doubling down this issue. But in a way, even though J- Simon's the focus, I still kind of like. I still kind of like the Jessica character pieces in this book. Like when, when she's totally freaking out and she's ready to leave and she goes, you know, I, 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 I'm going to go find Darkseid because I think I, I'm going to go have dinner with Darkseid. He, he looks like a ramen noodle kind of guy. And then he has a ring called Darkseid. It's like, going go to voicemail. It's like, a, that's I because I, I really like the relationship between Jessica and her ring. <laughs> yeah. In a way, I find that much more interesting at this point than her relationship with Simon. <laughs> Do you think they're really trying to set up something romantic? There? No, I don't. I don't. I don't mean it that way. I don't think. I don't. Okay. I mean, they, they could do it, but because it's not something that has to be any payoff to for a while. You can just establish them as partners and that they care about each other, and then whenever you want to, because it's, you know, because it's like a comic books on that level or like a soap opera, you can, you can always just th- throw that monkey wrench in there to, you know, put that gremlin in the works to make things complicated. I just mean they're trying to establish their, you know, their bond, their part, their that they actually are going they like there's something to like about each other and they're going to be you know working on that but i do find there i do find her relationship with her ring more fa- more interesting because again while it's a concept that i personally like and and i would have explored you know if myself if i was doing writing the book i would have explored this a lot, you know with hal and a lot of other characters i think cuz that's i think that it would explain a lot people in there having different relationships with their rings that we really haven't seen much of that in 
really in Green Lantern books, period. We really haven't seen much of that, any kind of personal relationship, really. So I think that's kind of cool that they're giving the ring personality and they're having the ring seemingly, you know, being willing, even, even the idea of, you know, joking around with her, even in a, you know, a, a, you know, straight man kind of way, but still being, you know, but still being able to do it. I kind of, I like that. So I think, I think that was, I think that was one of the, one of the, one of the highlights of this issue. And I do like, and I, I kind of like, I kind of like the backstory on Simon's mom. I kind of, I kind of think that's cool. I think they, not just because they try to give you, you know, psychoanalytically giving you why Simon, you know, is who he is, but I just like her. I just like, you know, I like her back. Some of, some of, some of the stuff they put in their background, I kind of like, so. Uh, I really like the variant cover for this issue. Have you seen it? Which one's the variant? It's the one with uh, Jessica holding an umbrella. I may have seen it in the solicits, but I don't. I didn't get that cover. Yeah, it's a uh, very very cover by uh, Emanuela Lupacino and Michael Atia. Uh, it features Jessica holding a, a green construct umbrella, um, uh, tilted back like behind her head, like it's during you know, like a heavy downpour, like where the rain's coming sideways. Um, but it looks like chunks of blue energy or ice or asteroids or something. It's pretty cool looking. It just caught my eye because of the juxtaposition between blue and green. That's true. Some, yeah, sometimes, uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes the varying covers are good, and then sometimes, <laughs> sometimes they're not. Like, when, like, but we'll talk about it in, in next episode when we talk about Hal and the core that. They had that cool cover with Sinestro, you know, taking the Green Lantern ring off somebody's hand that we, yeah. we talked about. That we kind of, I think, we talked. We'll talk about it more, but we kind of speculated what it really meant, even when we first saw it. That was a cool cover, and they had this really kind of lame other cover, which of course was the original one they pulled from me at the comic store. And it's like, that's not the cover I want. I want the Sinestro cover. <laughs> that's the cool one. <laughs> so. All right. Anything else you want to say about this issue? Um. Not a, no, not about this issue. Uh, can we can we do some speculation now, or should we speculate? Uh, speculate as to more a little bit about the Phantom Ring potentially. Uh, go wanna... ahead. I have actively not been reading any uh, solicits, to be honest with you. Other than the picture I showed you. Yes. Other than that. Now, are you? Do you agree with my interpretation of that picture? Well, go ahead. tell them what your interpretation is. Well. I was going to. I wasn't going to just play play coy, <laughs> but, I, but I just uh, the cover. I, I think believe this is the, the cover for for number. I think it's I think it's Green Lantern's twelve. Uh, it's hard to tell because I'm 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 looking at it a different place, so it could be. It, but either way, for it's in the December issues, and what so one of the one of the two covers of Green Lanterns, they show Simon and Jessica fighting the Phantom, you know, who the Phantom Lantern is at this point, because I guess at the end of the this Phantom Lantern arc that we're just about to begin, someone's going to take the ring. And as it's kind of already been established, even without knowing how it works, pretty much anybody, I guess, who, who takes it can use it. Uh, so besides the fact that it's a pretty cool look to the, this character, because that you have pretty much the most the emotional spectrum being represented all throughout this character's look. It's kind of like it's, it's kind of like almost like a negative image on one level. The Bane body seems like negative, but yet you've got tints and hints of the emotional spectrum colors all throughout. 
But what really made this interesting, and I honestly didn't know, I noticed it on my own, but I didn't notice it the minute I saw this cover. I was just more fascinated by the color scheme. But when you actually look at who the figure appears to be that Simon and Jessica are fighting, it certainly looks like it is Parallax, the convergence, we would assume, Parallax, who has stolen the Phantom Lantern Ring. Because it has, he's got the, it's got the armor of parallax. It has the cape. It has the phantom lantern symbol basically in the middle of the parallax armor. And if you even look at the hair and the face, it kind of looks like it could be Hal. So that's what I think. That's certainly based on that picture. Uh, it makes me think that that's what they're where they're going with it. Which I so, mean, visually, it seems like you might be onto something. Uh, it, and if it is the case, it certainly would be intriguing, and it certainly would amp up my interest in the Phantom Lantern, especially if somehow having this ring would make Hal be a little more in control, not not friggin' the Parallax entity. Uh, I mean, it might not be. There could be an explanation why it looks like Parallax, but it absolutely, I think, does look like Parallax, and it's kind of in. And I guess it would make sense since the last time we saw him flying off into space, he was going going to be he was looking for more power. And this ring, if, if this ring is supposedly as special as it is, and gives you because the because the solicits talk about how you know the Phantom Lantern controls all aspects of the emotional spectrum, whatever that means. But that's supposedly what the Phantom Lantern has that is in his power set. Whoever has that ring, so that would certainly meet the bill of parallax of parallax having more power. So. And if that's the case, why the hell don't we just call it a White Lantern ring? And and if we don't, they better really establish the differences between the two. Yeah, I I I, I like to be optimistic to think that we are going to get some definition or some the more cl- clarity in the definition. At the very least, we know we know there's one difference automatically because anybody theoretically can wield this ring as opposed to having to earn it and master the emotional spectrum or have the White Lantern have the entity give you a ring. But I, I would like to think we'll get a little bit more of an explanation between the difference. Just like we knew there had to be a difference between the indigo ring, which technically can channel the other powers, the other rings of the cores too. That it's not quite the same as a white lantern ring. But that's that was that was the thing that struck me the most on the at, at, when I saw the solicits, and I'm kind of hoping it's true because we know they. I mean, it's not where I would like to see Parallax show up next. I mean, because I, you still want us. I'm still waiting to see friggin' Sinestro and Parallax square off because the Hal Parallax and Sinestro Parallax, you think, would be diametrically opposed still, regardless of the ent- the tie-in with the entity. So that kind of is disappointing me, and maybe they have a bigger plan for that, and that's why it's being drawn out, or maybe they, I don't know. But it's kind of it would be kind of cool that he would come back and maybe maybe give Humphreys a shot to write him because we know the last time when Venditti had his shot, he didn't. Sadly, he did not do a great job. <laughs> That was the only that was the only thing I wanted to talk about because it's it's not like it's been confirmed so it's not really spoilers it's just nothing but speculation but it's certainly at least at the moment it's somewhat plausible speculation based on the based on that cover art. You know, it's funny. I have this bear bearinger uh, soundboard. Remember I texted you a picture of it a long time ago. I bought it. I believe so. Yes. Uh, that mini soundboard. Uh, I guys, I bought a soundboard like. God, it has to have been like maybe maybe a year ago, Mark. It it's be. been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. I bought a mini soundboard for podcasting, and I haven't used it yet because I got a piece of shit laptop, and I can't afford a new computer yet, just yet. But I this soundboard was on sale a long time ago when I bought it. Just this mini one mic type of soundboard, a Behringer 
uh, X-E-N-Y-X, however, that's Xenix Q502 USB soundboard uh, that I hope to use in podcasting at some point in the future with like a, I have a dream set up in my mind, like of like a swivel boom stand and mic and all this stuff. But anyways, you know, there's a button on here called Phantom. I don't know what it does because I don't. I haven't read up on this thing, but there's there's a button that specifically says Phantom. I'm too afraid to find out. <laughs> uh, state of the art Phantom powered Xenix mic preamp. I don't know what that means. I guess I'll have to read into this thing at some point. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, anyways. Uh, Alright guys, we are going to go into a quick promotional break, and believe it or not, the break you will hear, the promo for, actually somehow ties into issue 6 of Green Lanterns, but uh, I'm going to let you listen to it, and then be confused, and then uh, I'll explain on the other side. (laughs) (laughs) Alright guys. Doom Patrol. 1963. Doom Patrol debut. My Greatest Adventure, issue 80. 1964. My Greatest Adventure, renamed Doom Patrol. Issue 85. 1968. Doom Patrol, destroyed. Issue 121. 1976. The new Doom Patrol. Showcase 94. 1987. Doom Patrol, volume 2. Copperberg Lytle. 1989. Morrison and Case. Issue 19. 1993. Pollack. Issue 64. 2001. Doom Patrol Volume 3. Arcudi Hewitt. 2004. Doom Patrol Volume 4. Burn. Shush. 2009. Doom Patrol Volume 5. Giffen Clark. 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, Waiting for Doom, the Doom Patrol podcast, because we're waiting. Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Podbean.com. Alright guys, we are back from break. And they may be waiting, but the wait is over. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, that would be the promo for the Waiting for Doom podcast, which is a podcast all about the Doom Patrol. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because in the ads in these two issues, Mark, I assume you saw them, a bunch of ads for the new Young Animals imprint from DC, which is essentially their new vertical line, kind of. Um, and one of those ads was for the new Doom Patrol series. And why do I bring it up? Well, because Waiting for Doom has been, well, waiting for a new Doom Patrol series. And, uh, some people are pretty excited about it, including one of my co-hosts from the Action Comics Weekly podcast, specifically from the Dead Man segment, Doug Zavisha. And Doug Zavisha does, and please forgive me uh, if you're a fan of his blog, or Doug, if you yourself are listening, uh, he does two blogs sort of devoted to and tangential to the Doom Patrol. He's a big Doom Patrol fan, uh, and sometimes even participates in the the Waiting for Doom podcast uh, with the guys over there. Um, He does, I believe it's My my Greatest Strange Adventure, 80.blogspot.com, 
and Tales of My Greatest Strange Adventure, ad.blogspot.com, I believe. Um, if that doesn't make any sense to you, just Google Greatest Strange Adventure blog Doug Zavisha or something to that effect. You will find it. Um, uh, Doug and I recorded a segment fairly recently for the Action Comics Weekly podcast, and off mic he was telling me, like I told him I have a digital version of the first issue that I just haven't read yet and still haven't read. Um, maybe I'm holding it hostage. I don't know. Um, but he was just gushing. And when people start gushing about a comic, you know the material covering said comic is going to be good. So giving a shout-out to uh, Waiting for Doom podcast and Doug Zavish's uh, uh, Doom Patrol-related uh, blogs out there. So check those out. Nicely done. All right, guys. Listener feedback. We've got some. Um, we're not going to cover it all because some of it relates to um, – the Both, Hal yes. Jordan and the Green Lantern series as well, so we're going to wait on the ones that relate to that, but we do have an email and a kind of voicemail. Uh, which one do you want to cover first? Let's, let's, let's do the uh, email first. Do you want to do – I mean, I don't care, but do you like to do Laurel's yeah. email? Sure. Yeah, sure. So we got an email from Laurel, Laurel, uh, who I think has become a listener of my show too. Um, we actually got a lot of feedback from Laura, including we have. Listen, including feedback we'll, that Jim and I can cover when we next time we do a pre-birth episode, or unless we change the name in the meantime, since she really wants us to. <laughs> Laurel, you're you're Mountain Flower on Twitter, right? You, I'm assuming you're going to be writing an email again, so just throw that answer in there. <laughs> uh, she, uh, but regardless, she says hi, Mark and Chad. I've been disappointed in Green Lanterns. I wasn't thrilled that it would only star Baz and Jessica, but I wanted to give the book a shot. Issue 4 was a big disappointment. In number 4, Baz's early internal monologue is all negative about Jessica, very down on her as a Green Lantern. Then midway through the issue, he tells himself he has to have faith in her and himself, or she'll kill him while under the influence of the rage energy. He manages to blast her, and when she comes to, she's back to being herself. She's upset and says she doesn't deserve to be a Green Lantern. Suddenly, Baz is saying, you're not that bad, and by page 17, he's giving her a pep talk and accepts her as a true partner. This quick turnaround by Baz, not just in his words to Jessica, but in his own inner monologue, just doesn't work. It's bad writing. These characters need more time to get to know each other, or at least have Jessica perform better before Baz gets all enthusiastic. As I said, disappointing. Agreed. Although... Playing devil's advocate, now in terms of the internal monologue, I can't justify it at all. Um, but in terms of what he physically says to her, you could make the case that they're in a life or death situation and Baz needs to get her to snap out of it so they don't die. And if you want to put it selfishly, so he doesn't die. <laughs> the, the more people he has on his side fighting alongside him, the less likely he is to die. Now, when it comes to inner monologue and everything else, I can't have that same argument back it up. So, But you could theoretically make at least half a case if you wanted me to play devil's advocate on that point. Yeah, so you, you could you could chalk that up to basically that uh, – basically, I told you what you needed to hear, that, 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 that kind of thinking. It's like – Based on the situation we were in, I, I said to you what I said to you what you needed to hear. It really doesn't matter. Deep down, it doesn't matter whether I really believed it, but I said it because it's what you, you needed to hear in the situation we were in for it to all turn out the best for all of us. 
And that's that you 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 could chalk, yeah. And you like to think it there was more to it than that that he was trying to you know really you know try to inspire her to be all that she can be. But yeah, it is hard. It's harder to excuse me. <coughs> it's harder to justify the internal, you know, the internal dialogue slash monologue. It just doesn't. It doesn't really. It doesn't work on that one. I mean, if if you throw in something like yeah, it's like uh, man, I'm hope she's buying this stuff because I'm not. You know, something like that. Then maybe at least, then at least you're still being true to the fact that he's. You know, you're making it pretty clear that I'm saying this to her to try to help her to help me, but I really don't believe it. <laughs> I hope she's believing it because I don't. Yeah. yeah, we we kind of talked about it in the, in issue six yep. when we were doing the recap there yep. too. Yeah, there's a we know it's kind of like the catch twenty two of the series. On some level, things are going slow, but on other levels, they're just kind of conveniently like hitting all the beats they need to hit. You know, whenever they need to hit them, just to keep just to just to move it along. So I don't know. Well, I'll be really curious to see how we feel about this book once we get through this little dominator thing and the phantom lantern and things like that. I'll be curious to see. I mean, I'm hoping the phantom lantern arc is going to be interesting, but regardless of whether it's parallax or not, I'm hoping it's going to be interesting, but I'm curious to see if the dominators remain a factor throughout the whole thing. Yeah. So am I, that's why, that's why I was going to call it a mini arc, but then I said, we don't really know how big a role the dominators are going to be, but Kind of go, kind of, and this will segue a little, a little bit into the pseudo voicemail from from Andres that we're gonna play uh, in, a, in a few seconds too. That there still are some things out there in in related relation to both books that we don't have any explanation for yet, and you can't just throw it against the wall and not even <laughs> and just or put it in the closet and and close close the door and not think that discuss it or think about it indefinitely. Well, I mean, especially more so in the green. Now that the Red Lanterns are off the board, for now, again, short term, you know, we can, it's still a problem. Real Lantern fans who, it's a problem that we don't know how the Reds kind of like got back into the game the way they did. But at least it's not in, in your face anymore, so you don't have to think about it. There's still a lot of stuff in the Hal Jordan book that is in your face that we still have no explanation for. With the, who took the core out? Where the hell are the Templar Guardians? Things like that. I mean, we kind of getting a hint again. We'll talk about the solicits. But I think we'll talk about that a little bit in the in the core for Hal in the core. Those solicits too when we when we when we do that episode because it kind of hints. Well, some of it's more than a hint, but I think it also does hint at what some of the characters who we haven't seen in a while how they're probably going to get back into the game. But again, there's a lot of stuff that that you know we we need to know where the hell the Templar Guardians are. I mean, I mean, that's something that's kind of first and foremost right now. Where the hell are the Templar Guardians? And you could tie it into this Raimi guy. We know Satan and Ganthet are still out there. Where the hell are the Templar Guardians? But so yeah, there's a lot of stuff that that we're being kept in the dark about, and that's and this you know this book this book with the Red Lanterns off the board, not as much of an issue, but there's still some pacing. They need to kind of like pick it up a little bit, I think, in this book now. But we'll well we'll see. Uh, I'm not. I haven't signed. You know, I haven't turned the turned on this book yet but i i could if the next couple of arcs don't turn out well i could definitely see myself becoming less certainly less enthused <laughs> so to so do the vo- do our pseudo voicemail yeah sure so this is basically this is go as i kind of alluded to this is uh we, we 
both of us, I kind of threw it out there. I think Chad agreed, but it was mostly me, I think, pseudo-ranting about it. The idea of, again, about the Red Lanterns especially, there's so much that has happened over the Reds, even going back to the Lobo time, about, but especially since they restarted after Rebirth, it's like the explanations for this stuff that we need, I think we need to have at least some explanations for some of these things. So Andres kind of just gave his thoughts on maybe how he's kind of viewing it. So it's it'll it's 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 certainly a plausible theory, and as he frames it, it makes sense. As in, until we until we actually get something, it makes perfect sense. So so I'm gonna play that now. Okay, so apparently we're having problems playing Andres' voicemail, which kind of really isn't a voicemail, it was a Facebook voice message, and I think that's kind of the problem we're having here. So I'm gonna pretty much describe what was in his voicemail in quotes, voicemail, and then we'll just talk about it. Pretty much, Andres espouses, if you will, the theory that the reason why the, some of the stuff with the Red Lanterns hasn't been explained about Blees being there and with Skalix and Zillia Zox and all this stuff, that more or less it's almost like it's a new continuity after Rebirth, kind of same way with the, new, with the Templar Guardians, where we haven't got any explanation for where they have been and things of that nature. Uh... Maybe simply just because it's an easier concept to wrap ourselves around right now until we get until we get the explanation. That's the one kind of like we can accept to deal with. So I think there's pros and cons of that, but that's pretty much what Andre said. So uh, so I just wanted to make <laughs> make sure since you guys can't listen to it, you kind of knew what he really uh, the points that he was trying points he he really was working towards or trying to make. So now Chad and I, I think. Now we actually can discuss this, and you guys won't have an empty space going, there's no voicemail. So that's pretty much it, people. So, yeah, so Andre's pretty much, and I think a lot I think a lot of people, it certainly, it certainly makes it less challenging, for, at least from the point of view of wanting to make your, bang your head against the wall. It makes it more acceptable, not less challenging. It makes it more acceptable if you just kind of buy into that. Yeah, until further notice, just let's just assume it's like, this is the new continuity, and maybe they didn't in, in, in the new rebirth continuity. Some of these things didn't didn't die. They, these characters didn't die, or we don't have to worry about what you know. I don't know if I really buy it long term. Like I said, I think we need. I think I think we need an explanation for some of the stuff. And I think, especially the. I think the. And you know, he mentioned the Templar Guardians. I think the Templar Guardians is a bigger issue because we haven't seen the Templar Guardians in a long, long time. You know, really, at this point, so that becomes an even bigger thing. Since they were the, since they were the, you know, they were the guardians of the universe, the, the ones that were left, not counting Ganthet and stayed out on the vacation slash sabbatical. So, we we got we had to get that, whether it's related to how they how the core disappeared. But I just hope we get some more explanations in both books. I just think it's going to make it easier, and uh, and I don't think you can just keep kicking the can down the road. Indefinitely, and I have more hope. I have more faith that, that the Cal in the core book is going to give us answers to those questions about those characters than than the red, like the Reds and stuff like that in Green Lantern's book. Yeah, as far as the continuity is concerned, um, I wouldn't necessarily consider Rebirth a new continuity. Um, I mean, we read the Rebirth special. Obviously, it's 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 not a reboot. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's just a, a remembering. Yes, you know? kind of. And as we uh, know, even in the new 52 version, you know, the Green Lantern universe didn't change all that much, except for the horrible ab- uh, abortion there was, uh, that whole Coast City destroyed, not destroyed, was destroyed. No, you know, that, that, that inability to get major 
their inability to decide what major events took place and overall in DC. That was the, that was one of the bigger issues with Rebirth, and that kind of did trick. But the, excuse me, the New Fifty Two, and that kind of did trickle down into Green Lantern eventually. But most of the Green Lantern continuity stayed relatively intact. Yeah, the the issue I think is, and uh, you know, forgive me if you're listening, <laughs> which I doubt, but forgive me if you're listening. But I think it's just the laziness of the writers. You know, I mean, if there truly is no difference between the New Fifty Two universe and the post Rebirth universe, other than the Remembering and the sort of uh, the creative refocusing that not necess- that doesn't necessarily impact the continuity of this universe, then it is on the writers to make sure that they fill in the gaps. Uh, now you could say in terms of the Templar Guardians, at least in terms, of, and again the Devil's Advocate thing, you can make the case that they're holding in reserve for a bigger story. They're going to do a reveal with that. And if that's the case, great. Obviously, you don't need to put all your cards on the table in advance. You don't owe us that. But when it comes to the Red Lanterns, they are here in our face on panel in the story. We just had a whole story arc with them. That is your opportunity to tell us what the hell has been going on. And you didn't do it. True, and as we've talked about before, being being fair overall, I think like, as we try to be, that wasn't that's certainly not all on Humphreys because unfortunately Cullen did, did the same thing when he first brought them back into Lobo. True, that, true, that, and that, I'm, not, I'm not just saying singling out Humphreys, uh, Humphreys and uh, and uh, Venditti at the moment. Uh, of course, obviously Venditti doesn't. You know, <laughs> this is weird. I've seen the solicits. Does Larflees has some sort of thing coming up in yes. Hell, Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps? Yes. Then why the hell did he appear on one of the ca- the, the, the the covers for Green Lanterns? I don't know. What is going on? Who I, is talking about who? I, I don't know, but yes, Larflees, and we'll talk, and well, maybe detail-wise, maybe we'll talk about that more too next episode. But yes, it seems like uh, once the Sinestro's Law story arc ends, and uh, quick, shortly thereafter, there. The Larflees seems to be a threat to both the Greens and the Yellows, which brings them t- together. So whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they You know, I, I I recently have been going back and re-listening to a bunch of old episodes of the Lantern Cast. Which for those of you who've been long, 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 long time listeners of the Lantern Cast, like me and Mark, before we either of us were ever a part of it. It's no surprise to you that I would be re-re-re-re-re-listening to episodes of the Lantern Cast. I've also been re-listening to some of our old episodes too, Mark, and I remember being, and remember in terms of I was reminded as I was listening, being fairly down on a good portion of the Van Jensen run. But since our interview with him and all the stuff that he told us he was uh, actively attempting to do and all this stuff, I went back and reread a couple of issues and but listened to more of the reviews. And I just think I see it now. You know, I see regardless of the quality of the story, putting that aside, I see the effort he put into it. Oh, yes. I, I think both of us. Have, I think both of us appreciate the Van Jensen run now more not just because of the interview but just in the context of everything that happened yeah. after after that and knowing to be fair that his hand not not that he, you know he was friends obviously with robert so that so it's not like you know he, if somebody was cracking a whip on him and it was the worst thing in the world and it was it was a great break for him that being said we know that he did not that 
he he was only just starting to get into a position where he was really able to take that book in the direction that he wanted to when pretty much uh, the whole that was like convergence right convergence was the one that helped do the do that book in yeah that right when that all happened so it's like I think that book would have been would have gotten a lot better too if if he had had a little bit more time on it but I, but yes yeah and, and you know you and I both acknowledge that at some point or another during our reviews in the Van Jensen thing we both point out. Uh, whether it's simultaneously or uh, individually in, in, in differing episodes, that we acknowledge the fact that he is pulling in things like, um, oh God, why did I just blank on his name? Which one? The Ion Bear. Uh, oh, Sodomiat. Yes. Which is Sodom funny because that's not where I thought you were going with it. Because in my mind's eye, as soon as you were segueing, I was thinking Sodom. I mean Sodomiat. But I thought you were going to refer to the, that lizard guy that we saw in on, on the spaceship or whatever that hadn't appeared like since like the Silver Age or whatever. Oh yeah, which I did bring up. Which I did yes. bring up. Uh, and you've also got, of course, like the corpse and all that other stuff yep. going on. So we do acknowledge, even in those reviews, that he is trying, but. I see no effort here in this issue, in these issues that Sam Humphreys has written, that he's trying to explain what has been going has been going on with the Red Lanterns. Now, what is currently going on, he's doing that in leaps and bounds, but they're, how they got to the point where they are currently, there is no attempt at an explanation between the now that we see them and the last time we saw them. Nothing whatsoever. And you could say, well, Chad, well, maybe they're building up to a bigger storyline. No, they just had a Red Lantern storyline. If they were going to do it, that was the point to do it. And I have the same, like you, you mentioned, Mark, I have the same criticism towards Cullen Bunn and the stuff that he did or did not do in terms of explaining where things are. But Which is, which is ironic because, for the mo- because in his own... Lantern book, he did a really good job for the most part. Sure, <laughs> we sure. love we love his Sinestro book, and we would have, and if we do get him on the show, uh, reschedule him to be on the show. That the reality is, seeing where he would have taken that book, I find greatly intriguing. But uh, but yeah, I agree. The, the Lobo the Lobo stuff, and we and we were to be fair, we 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 called this right away. The Lobo stuff was problematic from the get go because it, there were some serious Lantern ramifications that were not occurring in a Lantern book, and we and Still, we didn't get explanations for why some of the stuff was going on. Yeah. But that's a discussion for another time, I think. I think we've ranted enough this episode. But it's still a nice, a nice tidy, hour-long episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You want to tell people how they can reach us? Jeez, I didn't, I didn't even open my document. Every time I try to do this from scratch, I, it's, it's when my mind wanders more ironically. Uh, if you'd like to contact us, lanterncast at gmail.com. Lanterncast at gmail.com, website lanterncast.com. Movie reviews, issue reviews, Dark Star reviews, Ring Cyclopedia episodes, blogs. We got a lot of stuff. Pretty much check us out there. If you'd like to follow us or find us, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, we are on all of those. You can use hashtag GLCast to find us on any of those iTunes and Stitcher on both, so whichever platform you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. Last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, just like Mr. Corwin Kroll, who will listen, whose voicemail we will listen to next episode, 708-Lantern, 
708 Lantern and let us know what you think. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.